On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I'm Jamie Stewart, and with me today is Richard Edwards from HED Capital Management. The Independent Research Forum promotes an extensive range of the best independent research providers from around the world, both macro and micro, some stock pickers, some sector-specific, some country-specific, many global and all investment-related. I'm very pleased and we're all honoured that we're joined today by Richard Edwards, who is the founder of HED Capital Management. HED has pioneered work in behavioural finance, using proprietary methods that predict market movements over time frames across multiple asset classes. The basis of the research is that the most important influence on price movement is the sentiment of the market crowd. I personally am very honoured to add that it's my privilege to have known Richard for over 20 years. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. If we can begin with a brief introduction to the service that HED Capital Management provides, and particularly if you can tell us what you do and how it is different. We believe that the shifting moods of the market crowd determine most price movements in markets. So we looked at how mood ebbs and flows and then devised ways to measure it and from that make predictions. How do you actually manage to read mood in inverted commas? Because it's a very, very complicated sounding process. Is it an opinion survey such as market vein? Are there other approaches towards that sort of um, investigation? It's not like market vein because that is, as you say, an opinion survey. And surveying opinion is asking people what they think. We're more interested in what people feel because the gut response to market developments is what leads to crowd mood and those evolving crowd moods then push the market in this direction or that. So for example, if the market vein survey monkeys call 100 people and ask them, are you bullish of gold, which is the question they ask on the subject of gold, then they may get a considered response from somebody who occasionally looks at the gold market. But if they ask somebody who's got a gold position, staring at the screen, hair standing on end during a fast market where stops are being hit. That's a proper response. But of course, you won't get a response because that fellow's attention will be elsewhere. We think that mood is a matter of emotion. Why is it that the ability to measure mood within the market context is so important? Because mood courses through the market, any market, like electricity and it's just as difficult to resist and so people may have a considered view but the response to the marketplace their actions in the marketplace will be con- will be conditioned far more by their emotional response and so in order to get a handle on what has happened so far an explanation of what has happened so far and to predict what is going to happen next it's absolutely essential to look at mood And so we devised various different ways to look at it. Richard, hearing your response there and what you've told us, this is really behavioural science. And if mood is driven by emotions, how on earth can one build a tool to measure mood and to evaluate it? You can't directly measure it, of course, unless you strap 
electrodes onto traders' heads and and observe them that way. And, and maybe that's something for the future, but we don't do that. We know a few things about mood. Uh, it develops and is amplified by feedback and particularly feedback loops. So an example would be the London property market where a, a young couple wishing to buy a flat have the deposit, have a loan arranged. They see prices moving away upwards and they think, well, we better buy now rather than waiting until next week until we've seen a full range of properties. And so they buy with more, with greater urgency. They're buying together with other people in similar situations, pushes prices up more, which then produces more fear of missing out amongst others who wish to buy. And so a feedback loop develops that rising prices produce more demand to the contrary of the economic theory that, that rising prices will eventually increase supply. Similarly, but conversely, a stock market that starts to slide immediately produces a fear response. Fear response can produce more selling, often does. And so in a cascade of, of extra selling, falling prices produce more selling, which produce falling prices, which produce more selling. So these are feedback loops in operation. And the link between the crowd and the price is mood. So people's responses are almost entirely driven by emotion in these circumstances. There is also negative feedback, which we can go into a little later in, in the podcast. But feedback leaves telltale traces, footprints, if you like, and we know what they look like. So we trawl for them, accumulate the data, and then interpret it to find out where we are and what's likely to happen next. We referred earlier to the simple monosyllable, a tool for measuring mood. And what you're telling us makes it sound much more sophisticated than the average tool. What does this actually look like? How does it appear? How is it structured? How is it perceived? By uh, It's a process. Our computers trawl through a lot of market data overnight for the longer time frames and throughout the day looking for the traces of feedback, looking for its foot, footprints, its footsteps, its, its distinctive telltale traces, and alerting us here uh, when it's found. And we interpret that, write bulletins, and send that out to our subscribers. That, that's very interesting indeed. And of course, hearing you explain this very, in the background, uh, complex and complicated system, but one which is very, very productive, the first question one asks oneself is, how can one be certain that it works? Uh, it, it has worked very well over many years, as you know, Jamie, because you've, you've had a look at it over that, that period of time. We have successfully identified the highs and lows, the major highs and lows, and, and many of the minor ones in, in most of the world's markets over a 20-year period. And our, our track record shows that. Uh, and so the proof of the pudding is in the eating. These methods, although they are by general standards, unorthodox, work very well. No, that's a, a comforting response to hear because you are the key person there. Would you say that this approach is a replacement for technical analysis or is it a parallel and challenging procedure relative to technical analysis or is there another way in which one ought to keep both in mind? It's, it's not a replacement for technical analysis. Technical analysis examines the history of a market and assumes that what has happened before, what has worked before, will work again, which often it doesn't. So typically, for example, a technical analyst will look for 
chart patterns in the price. The well-known ones are head and shoulders, double top, triple bottom, this kind of thing. And any cursory examination of a chart will show many of these signals which have failed to work in that they don't have any predicted power. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. We started from first principles. We thought about what makes markets move. How does that work? How does the interplay of emotions with the market price create feedback loops? How do we read it? And then how do we make predictions from that? So the system that we designed generates signals. So it can look like a form of technical analysis, but it isn't. Our approach explains developments in a way that technical analysis generally doesn't and makes accurate predictions, which technical analysis sometimes does and sometimes does not. Yes, it, the technical analytic approach towards markets has actually created a pattern with which we're all familiar of rotation and rhythm. It'd be very interesting to know whether you think that your system defies that. A technical analysis actually has a longer history than its, than its main rival, fundamental analysis. And, and we have a, a history of market analysis video on, our, on the Head Capital website, which, which traces that back to late medieval times. In fact, the observation of price and, and price movement and assuming that it contains information which will help you predict is, goes back to Japanese rice trading many, many years ago. So fundamental analysis, which, came, which, is, which is generally considered to be intellectually superior, although I, I think of it as a sort of economics light dates back only to the 1920s. And so this approach, our approach, which takes account of the, the prime mover in the markets, which is the, the emotional responses of the crowd, should be regarded, I think, as, as being completely separate, a third leg to the stool. Your references earlier suggested, let's say, signals which emerge from the emotional and the sentimental movements um, underlying the markets. Are these um, signals what your subscribers would actually see or do they rely entirely on the interpretation of those signals in the background without actually being able to see the, see or hear the signals themselves? They do see the signals. We try to make it as clear as possible because we report the signals that we have seen. We try to provide some context to that, perhaps a little bit of economic commentary, although not often. And then we make some recommendations. We will also try and look across different markets and relate signals in, in one against another. So, for example, we recently put out a recommendation to buy the dollar based on a certain kind of signal. And, of course, that has spin off and, and knock on uh, effects on other related markets. And so we will usually make reference to that in our bulletins. There is a user guide, which we have to refer to constantly because we've had to invent names for these signals because they're outside of the general experience of, of most market participants. And, and this is all explained in our user guide and in our instructional videos on the website. Yes, your reference to user guide is an important one there. Thank you very much indeed, because that has certainly clarified that aspect. Richard, can you tell us whether your, your coverage is of all markets, and by markets I have in mind the regional interpretation of that, and the security and asset bases represented by markets. Is it, a, is it a universal coverage or is it a selective and elective coverage of markets? Uh, it is a little bit selective because there's just so many different markets that we could look at. But there are some qualifications. It has to be a free auction market where the crowds move uh, 
has an important part to play in, in pricing. And if there's some change which occurs, so the crowd is less important in determining prices, then our systems don't work nearly as well. So, for example, in bond markets, since the advent of unconventional monetary policy, we, it is very rare for us to generate a bond market signal. But in all other markets where the crowd is an important determinant, then we have a role to play and we follow them. Even in uh, cryptocurrencies, for example, where the crowd's mood and its movement are the only thing which moves prices, we've been able to make some successful predictions. Although I don't like doing it because I distrust that asset class. Richard, thank you very much indeed for that very comprehensive insight. Now, with investor clients, people who are professional investors and are considering what you're doing, what would you say are the main reasons for which they would be well advised and well rewarded for um, supporting and subscribing to your services? You've referred to uh, that magical expression user guide earlier on, and in a way it will be contained in that, but it would be very interesting to hear your version of the reasons which would move people to commit to your services in interpreting um, the analysis which you carry out so deftly and so successfully? Well, it's an extra string to their bow. The available existing methods of analysis sometimes work very well, sometimes do not. Sometimes they're more of an art than a science. We have tried to bring rigor to what is actually quite a woolly area, mood. I mean, mood is, in its, is by its, its nature hard to capture. But we've made considerable inroads into doing that and continue to do so, by the way. So it provides analysis and conclusions that are just simply not available anywhere else. And so it's a very good addition to the portfolio of analysis that any trader or fund manager or portfolio manager can use. It also provides unusually sharp timing so when there is a shift from one market condition to another, which is what we specialize in identifying, then we are usually accurate to within a few days, sometimes right on the nail. In addition, many analysts and, and all market participants are affected by mood. That's what we measure. And so we can, to some extent, stand outside that and remain unaffected by crazes, fashions and severe swings of mood. So we provide a useful independent reference when things are getting a little hot. It's a remarkably succinct and persuasive answer that because um, we've used the word unique a couple of times. Your product is unique. It is highly successful. It is very, very interesting. And in order to promote something which is a one-off product, it needs your very careful and very successful explanation of it in order to persuade people to look further into it and to commit to it. I think it's, it's very impressive indeed. But I'd like to thank you very much on behalf of everybody who will have encountered this indirectly. They'll no doubt be heading for the user guide in no time, but it's a very impressive ex experience that we've had in order to be able to listen to your, your version of the explanation. Your version is the most important one of all. So on behalf of everybody involved, thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you for having me.